the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 251 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Welcome to the show. On the show today is the fantastic Emmy thrice time winning writer and producer. It is Michael Price. Uh, Not only has he written over 266 episodes of The Simpsons, he's also the consultant writer on The Simpsons movie and the consultant writer on Angry Birds, the movie as well. He's also the writer of so many TV specials and TV films of Lego Star Wars. Titles include The Padawan Menace, The Empire Strikes Out, The Yoda Chronicles, and many, many more. He is also, and what we're here to talk about today a lot, is the co-creator, writer, and exec producer of the fantastic Netflix show F is for Family. The fifth season has started now on Netflix. Go watch it. It's hilarious. It's funny. It's dark. It's twisted. It's set in the 70s and you're going to love it. If you've not watched it, go start now. It's all there from season one. It is a wonderful animated sitcom. You're going to love it. On today's episode, myself and Toby sat with Michael and we talked about some amazing topics. Some of these include where his ideas come from, or where ideas might come from for you. We also talk about the three-act structure and what a room runner role is and how important it is in TV writing. We also talked about why scripts might not get picked up, but are a great calling card. We talk about rejection and why you should stick to what you believe in. We also talk about how you can write comedy, why is something funny, and why you shouldn't have a plan B. Uh, We also dive deep into uh, the making of F is for Family and how you can write a pilot script and how you can structure it. All that is coming up on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer. And joining me as my fellow host today is Tobias Fees. Hello, buddy. Hi, mate. Nice to be back. It's a joy to have you after the 250th episode last week. You are also a writer, director and a producer. And you might have some news for us about your latest uh, short film. Yeah, it was featured at the International Up and Coming Film Festival in Hanover, one of the biggest youth film festivals in the German-speaking market. And and we had a lovely uh, talk with the audience, a lovely Q&A, and it was amazing. And a lot of people saw it. And it's nice to have something out um, that you've been working on for way too long. (laughs) It's amazing to have that, to have anything you've been working on come out. It's just a joy. So congratulations. Thank you. Super congratulations. What's it called? In the Dark. It's a horror short with experimental touch. Yes, it is uh, amazing. Uh, I can say that. If you follow Toby on his Instagram, you'll see lots about it. Lots of behind the scenes. Uh, Toby really goes in depth on his Instagram. It's brilliant. Your Instagram is? At Tobias Fix. There you go. Follow him. Link to that will be in the show notes if uh, Toby decides to put it in there. I will put them (laughs) right at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) So last week, Toby was our 250th episode. Can you believe it? What an episode. What an episode. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was gigantic. It was, and you had to cut it down. Yeah. <laughs> we went on for ages. If you haven't listened, do go back and listen to that after you've listened to this. There was so much tips, tricks, and advice. Uh, the host sat down, uh, minus a few, and had a mm. chat about what we've learned making films and what we've learned from our guests making this podcast as well. Shout outs must go to some amazing people this week who love that episode and have loved the fact it's our 250th episode and given us so much joy and warmth, the fact that we've made it this far and the fact we're still doing this every Tuesday. Um, just uh, to be honest, quite incredible. And I really should give this up. I keep saying it. I'm, <laughs> I'm far too busy for this shit, <laughs> but I do love it. And I love talking to you. So please keep talking back. Please keep telling us how much you enjoy. And if you really love this, and you really want to do us a favour, go on iTunes and give us a five-star review. Why not? It all helps. It actually really does. Shout-outs go to Mark Hampton, Neil Rickatson, Bad Movie Night, David Bryant, Jason McColgan, and Rob Warsey, and so many others I haven't written down. There's so many of you. And we're so nice on the Facebook posts as well, on the Filmmakers Podcast. We put it out on there as well, so thank you. I know you were all thinking this episode was going to be the Christy Wilson Cairns episode. I know that we said that last week. And I'm saying again now that Christy will be joining us next week. What a tease. Well, I mean, it is a tease, isn't it? We've all been a bit busy, so um, we couldn't fit the time in with Christy and Dom and find the studio in London to do it. So we're putting this fabulous episode out with Michael Price for you. But Christy should be with you next week to talk all about last night in Soho. You can not only write us a great review on Apple Podcasts, you can also come and join us on Patreon, or you can buy some lovely merch from our merch store. Ooh, Christmas is coming up, we have a Christmas code, so you can get our lovely merch even cheaper, and it's it's comfy, it's nice, <laughs> it, it looks good. It is, you've actually got some of it. He's got a mug in his hand yeah, now. The mug works brilliantly. It works, it doesn't it work. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I took the, the coffee one, the heated oh, one. I yeah. took that on set with me on Wolves of War and I loved it. It was actually, I had a cup of put tea in it in the morning and in the afternoon I went, oh, I'm going to have a sip of this and I actually burnt my tongue. It was so good and kept warm the whole time. But then I lost it on Three Day Millionaire. I'm absolutely gutted. Oh shit. I know, I have to order myself another no, one. Someone stole it because they were just so yeah, amazed someone by stole it. it because yeah. it was so good yeah. yeah so now I've got to order myself a new one but at least I can get the discount and this is what's funny about this is I don't get any of them free well you still have to buy them <laughs> how are you finding being a host now Toby because obviously you edited the last I don't know 50 odd episodes and now look I'm forcing you to be in the show more how are you coping? It's great. It's a great experience. It's actually super inspiring and amazing to talk to those great minds and, and yeah, just have a chat with someone from The Simpsons and one of my favorite films um, I grew up with. It's amazing. Really? Like, yeah. Super grateful to, to be part of this. And it's lovely to hear your Austrian accent. You don't often hear an Austrian accent. I'm trying so hard to not let it through. Can't help it. It's a, the Arnold Schwarzenegger in you. You just can't help it. It's <laughs> yeah. there. It's there. Not only looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm also sounding like it. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. If you haven't seen a picture of Toby, he looks exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, people Googling now. No, he doesn't. <laughs> On the 12th of December, I'm actually doing a keynote event. I'm doing From Shorts to Features, myself and Jennifer Sheridan, who is on episode 215, talking about her brilliant film, Rose, A Love Story. Uh, myself and her are doing that event on the 12th of December. Do come and join us. It's going to be great in London if you're around. Link to that will be in the show notes. 
And I got a lovely email from Kazra, who is crowdfunding her latest short film at the moment, 175. It's a short live action film about the legalization of same sex marriage in 2013 in the UK. And it's written and directed by the multi award winning uh, Kazra Karimi. Uh, it's a film about love and morality, it's intimate and personal and poignant. So if you can support, in any way we do endorse these films and anything we shout out we do endorse them and we do love them so therefore if you can give anything then do go help she is in last week or it might even be last day today so if you're feeling kind if you're feeling supportive of indie films and go on there and give whatever you can it is on greenlit it is called 175 the link is in the show notes. Support if you can. Cool. So we should get to the episode, shouldn't we? Yeah. Let's get to it. This is the fantastic Emmy winning Michael Price, myself and Tobias Fees. And screenwriters, get your pens and paper ready. You're going to want to write notes. Right. Here it is. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Enjoy. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hello, how are you I'm good. very good. I'm good. Excellent. Where are you at the moment, Mike? I'm in my home in uh, lovely Sherman Oaks, California. Oh, how nice. nice. I suppose, you know, because it's morning there, isn't it, at the moment? It's 11 o'clock in the morning here, yeah. Cool. Right. Would you start your day by writing already? Would you get up early and do some type of writing? Is that kind of what you do? Or were you just, you know what, I might have a coffee, I'm doing a podcast, I'll do that later. What's your, is there a typical day? Uh, well, it depends on what's going on currently yeah. at the moment. And at the moment, uh, with Ephesus for Family being finished, uh, I am uh, currently still a full-time uh, member of the writing staff and producing staff for The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are getting ready to start talking about stories and uh, scripts and episodes for our next season, which will be season 34 of wow. The Simpsons. Uh, I know it's crazy. So <laughs> we're kind of at the end of the current production season of what, what is called season 33. Uh, some of that is already on the air. Now's the time to sort of use our daydream a little bit and come up with some uh, story ideas, new stories that we'll start talking about after our, we're in a holiday week right now. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving here in the United States. So, nice. uh, so we're off, but we're sort of still like coming come on Monday with a couple of ideas. So I'm sort of working on a couple of those ideas. How does it work? How did, like you say, when you say, oh, just come in with a couple of ideas, that's always like, you know, that's either, either you run to that and go, yes, that's it. I've got loads in my back pocket. I've been thinking about these characters. Or you go, oh my God, it's like bringing homework day, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both, especially when we're on a show like this that's now, we've gone past 750 episodes, Amazing. I believe. Uh, so yeah. I think we're on 760 or something right now. So which is insane, uh, mm. you know, for any scripted show to have that many episodes. Luckily, The Simpsons lives in such an elastic universe that, you know, we can have all kinds of things going on. But at the same time, it, you know, you try to find new stuff, things that maybe haven't been covered before or possibly things that are going on in our own lives or something we're observing, you know, that's a, mm. that begins with that. And then it's like, okay, well, how can this, what can this mean to one of the characters on the show? And how does that develop into a story? So without giving you a whole lot away, one of the stories I'm thinking about has to do with getting older a little bit and also sort of like those, they have the kind of senior moments where you like, oh my God, where was, what was I supposed to say? Or, or yeah. you know, I have a, I have a close a close family member remember uh, like a in-law who had a thing like that and then had 
had to go get a brain scan and, and look, found that they're having some, uh, uh, an issue, you know? Mm-hmm. So everyone gets a little worried about that. So I started thinking about that. And then it turned into like, Oh, what if Marge had that? And like, was worried that she's losing her memory, you know, so that turns, turns into a possibly a thing where there's always kind of, they sell these kind of drugs now that are mm-hmm. homeopathic, you know, memory helpers, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that got me thinking about that. And then, Oh, then they found out that there's this whole thing where they have these competitions, like memory, like Olympics of memory and thing like that. So I said, Oh, but, but what if it was something like that? So I'm sort of, that's one idea. I'm sort of noodling around very, very uh, loosely and it might not even go through, but uh, that's one of the ideas. So, but, but it starts with like a real thing. And then you kind of sort of think like, okay, now what, and now what, and now what, and how does, who, who on our show could that be an issue for? And mm. things like that. Amazing. Obviously, because the characters of the Simpsons don't necessarily get older. I know that you jump into the future and past right, sometimes, right. but therefore you go, right. well, someone who's losing their mind, you go, well, maybe it's the granddad then, or maybe it's the neighbor or maybe because, right. yeah, you're going, okay, well, can this happen to Homer? But again, you're living in this world of make-believe. You can kind of do what you like whenever you like. Which yeah. I suppose is great, but also quite restricting in some way, maybe. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, if there's, if you can do anything, then which do you pick that you do? Mm. Get, you know, so it has become that. It is it becomes a series of, of starting way out here and then kind of making a choice, 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 choices. Mm. You know, hopefully you make the right choices, or or if you find yourselves like this is a process that it, let's say let's say if I come in next week and I present this idea and the. Uh, the upper level producers think it's interesting, then then it would be a process of a couple of days with myself and uh, other writers really sort of really talking it through and exploring all the different elements of what could happen before we then we start to kind of whittle it down. It's like, okay, what is the, our show is based on a, in, a, in a three act structure. So it's kind of like, what's the first act? What's the second mm-hmm. act? What's the third act? You know, then, then it becomes that. Then it Then it becomes an outline and then it becomes a script and then the script gets worked on, you know, over and over and over again <laughs> until it starts getting produced. <laughs> That's fascinating. How you draw from real life and then translate it into the world of The Simpsons. How does the work? Uh, uh, do you have to set techniques there, or is it just like okay? Uh, in the case you you mentioned before, because it's quite a serious topic, and The Simpsons is not a not quite a serious show or it doesn't have a serious tone. So how do you translate that? In, into the world of the Simpsons. Yeah, that's the that's the hard part, I guess. You know, it's like figuring out what's funny about it, or you know. Yeah. I mean, when I thought of this idea, and again, it's so it's so barely formed that I wouldn't mm. even call it an idea. It's like a notion right now. Sure, <laughs> But yeah. it's like, is it better for it to be Homer? Is it better for it to be Marge? Is it better for it to be like you mentioned, the grandpa? Mm. You know, what if it was Lisa? You know, but mm. uh, there was something that spoke to spoke to me about Marge with it because maybe I think mothers usually have very long memories, you know, like they'll remember everything that you ever did when you were a kid. (laughs) So I was thinking about that Marge. Marge could be famous for her knowing every, or she remembers everything that Homer ever did. Like she remembers mm. all the bad things that Homer ever did, you know, so anything. Mm. But how interesting where it goes into it straight away there you went, and how about this? And then this could happen. And I imagine when you're in your rooms with your fellow writers, you suddenly all go, yeah, that could happen. How about this? How about that? And you all yeah. jump on an idea and you must yeah. do that with everyone else as well. And suddenly yeah. it becomes something real or it gets shut yeah. down. Right. And someone right, goes, right. done it. Doesn't work. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, my earlier part of my life, when I first started doing this was based on performing sketch comedy and mm. specifically improv, like improv groups and improvisational stuff. So that's what everything that improv is about, you know, is about one person establishes a, th- a thing or whatever, a, a, a situation, and the next mm. person shows up and adds to it. And it's called yes. And which yes is like, and. A kind of yes, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. like, 
But if, if we were in a, if we were doing a scene together, I'd say, wow, that's an amazing hat you've got there. That's a 10 gallon cowboy hat, isn't it? You know, and you go, yes, yes I got and- it. When I ju- but yeah. I killed the sheriff of Dodge City. Oh, that was quite a gunfight, wasn't it? Oh, it sure was. Whatever. Then you, then you just sort of take it off mm-hmm. in that direction, you know. So, but working in a in a TV writing room is a lot like that. A lot of, you know, hopefully building on and and not, you know, it, there's there's there has to be more of sort of no no is involved because you're ultimately building towards a thing. But at the beginning of it is a lot of that, you know, a lot of sort of anything can happen and building on. And what about this? And that sounds good. How, oh, oh, this could be that, you know? And then ultimately there's one person usually who is the authority in the room who is either the showrunner or if the showrunner isn't there, the per- there's one person usually is called the room runner who is like running that particular room of, mm. let's say five or six writers. And that's the person who ultimately would then say, would steer the, steer the conversation towards well i I like this version of it a little better than this version let's go in that direction you know so that's the person who ultimately sort of becomes the authority figure who sort of shapes it and lends a shape to it that's fascinating so let's say you have like you've got your idea here let's it's it's margin she's she starts losing a memory or she she forgets everything suddenly when she knew everything and that's one idea you've come with two now there's five or six you mentioned potentially in this room you've all got ideas now from that and you're all shaping them into some sort of idea does it just keep growing and growing until either can't grow anymore or it becomes like you say the idea that it becomes into the scripty stage do you all decide that or whoever the the room runner is there's someone sort of of say room runner's job job, right like we might have a or we might have like a let's say on monday i come in and we decide we start working on this idea mm-hmm. or a different one or, or it could turn into all other one you know whatever yes. but there might be a thing like okay by the end of the day today let's make sure that we at least have we know what the story is about we know mm-hmm. basically where it's going to go how it's going to begin how it's going to middle how it's going to end you know so we're, so we're working towards that you know, hopefully. So then we'll come back tomorrow, let's say, and if we're still working on it, then we'll really attack it and say, okay, what's what's act one? What what are the actual mm-hmm. scene? You know, so you sort of take it one one piece at a time. Always, I, I think if you had just have it like wide open, anything can go forever. Then you, it's <laughs> possible that you never make a decision. Uh, that was that was a lot that happened with me when I was first starting out too. Like I was mm-hmm. writing a lot of, um, I was trying to write screenplays, sort of like just on my own kind of whatever you call them spec. Screenplays, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote two of them that I'm very happy with. I mean, this is many years ago, but it took it took like years for me to write them because there was no there was nobody on the other end of the phone saying, "Where's that screenplay?" You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, know. Really, I, I, need, it, I need it next week. Yeah, you, know? you need that deadline sometimes. It really helps <laughs> right. you, doesn't it? So yeah. when you're on The Simpsons and you're like, "We've got to get this script going," you know, <laughs> you've got that. You know, or if it's your family, we had a we had a much shorter time time period of of our writer's room was much a smaller window because we had a lower budget. So we couldn't afford to pay. We didn't have, we couldn't pay, we could pay the writers to work for 30 weeks to make 10 episodes. We mm-hmm. only could pay them to work for 20 weeks to make 10 episodes. So that, right. that really mm-hmm. focused our thinking. <laughs> but if we had five years to write 10 episodes, we probably would take five years to write 10 episodes. Well, that's it. And then the last week would suddenly you'd cram it all in. And I, I, I like deadlines. I think it's important. I, I think too. as writers, even if it's your friend giving you a deadline to say, I want to read it by that day, it at least um, gives you that impetus to go, right, yeah. in that case, I'm going to try and hit that deadline if not like you're saying mike i'm the same you know the scripts i've got in my drawer that one day i might finish and there's other ones that i've had to finish because of deadlines and i think deadlines are really important so that's why i think with f for family you were like we have to get it done by this point so let's do it the same with the simpsons we have to finish by this point you mentioned yeah. they're going back to your 
sort of start, you know, when you started to write screenplays, what inspired you to do that, to sat in your room writing these spec scripts with no deadline? What was the inspiration to actually start screenwriting? Well, I, th I think for me, there's always been a feeling of like, I'm very happy where I am. I, I, I had just started working on The Simpsons. This was like almost like 18 or 19 years when I first started writing these scripts, but I, I loved it. It was amazing. The greatest show in history, you know, one of the all time <laughs> top shows. I couldn't believe it. It yeah. was a job that was probably going to stick around for a while. I mean, no one, <laughs> if you asked me in 20 years ago, would you still be working Simpsons 20 years from now? I probably would have said no. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone always said like, we got a couple more years left, you know? So, um, but still, but even, but given the, the, the nature of this kind of work to be on a show for five years straight, to, at that time would have felt like this is unbelievable because I've mm. been on a lot of things that had only lasted one season or not a full season, whatever got canceled. So, so, but there's always a feeling for me of like wanting to do one, another thing, wanting to like, I've got this now, this is an amazing job, but I really would love to do this, you know? So uh, I really was interested in trying to get into the world of, uh, of feature writing and screenplays. It was very, 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 very hard. Uh, I wrote a script that I was very happy with. The, the first one that took me a couple of years to write and mm. my agent liked it and it was very kind of high concepty, you know, thing. And then we got some interested, uh, big people, I won't say who these people were like sure, a major sure. director was interested and had lunch with him. And he's like, I love the script. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. Here we go. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then literally like that week they were going to take it out. Like another script came out by another person that had, a, had somewhat similar idea that mm -hmm. went. And that sort of took the wind out of the sails and the, the big time director was like, oh, I don't know about this now. And he went off to make something else. And, and then it just, it just, that was it. Timing, you know? right? So, yeah. It is about yeah. timing sometimes. Yeah. With these but things. then it, then it turned into like, it became kind of like a calling card script, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot mm -hmm. of people read it. A lot of people at various studios and whatever liked it, thought it was funny. So then the next thing became me going in and taking all these meetings and about trying to get like, they were called like open assignments, which are, there were a couple of, that means a couple of different things, or it used to back in those days, at least there'd be a thing like someone had written a script, like a person like me had written a, an, an original script that the studio bought, but they thought, well, it needs a rewrite. So then, so it was kind mm -hmm. of coming into pitching yourself to be like, let me be the person to do the rewrite of that. You know? So it was a lot of that, like coming in and like reading a script. And one of them was one of them became a movie that was made not a huge hit, but it was this movie called Employee of the Month with Dane mm -hmm. Cook. I read the script and they said, OK, come in, come in with your take on how to rewrite it. So then I spent like a couple of weeks doing that. I came in, pitched my idea and like mm -hmm. never heard from him again. You know, that, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And they, they picked somebody else or another kind of open assignment would be like a, 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 a studio may have optioned like an article in a magazine about something. Uh, I remember one of those was another one. It was an article in a magazine about how the most beautiful women in the world live in Iceland. And there was a guy from New York who decided to move to Iceland because he wanted to meet and, and like fall in love with the most beautiful woman in the world. Okay. And it was like a, it was an article in like New York magazine or something Troubled now, but yes. Uh, yeah. Right. And now this was like 2003 or so. So anyway, um, and they're like, okay, how's that a movie? You know? So they wanted very, I mean, it's called a bake off, which is means that they, I may have had that meeting and there might've been like a dozen other writers like me who had that same meeting who all mm -hmm. came in and pitched their thing. And they were oh, out of these 11, we'll pick number eight, you know? So that's a really rough business to be in. And I knew, I know yeah. friends who were, who were screenwriters, successful screenwriters who would be envious of 
oh my god you work in tv like this is you've got the greatest thing going and i was like oh but yeah but movies are movies are big and movies are Hollywood, you know? <laughs> mm. isn't that so, fascinating that I find, yeah. I find that really interesting how we always think the grass might be greener we're in a place where we I, I, should we just look and go hang on i'm, I'm really ha this is great where i am i should be yeah. really happy yeah. and you are and like you said mike but sometimes you just you still want that other thing you want that thing you just want to keep growing and developing as a writer or yeah. a, you know a, a filmmaker and i think yeah. that's fascinating how do you how did you deal with the rejections because this is something screenwriters especially when you're starting out, really struggle yeah. with. And at this point, you're yes. writing for The Simpsons, for instance. <laughs> right. But even then... It certainly helped that I had a job already, you know, but if, mm -hmm. if, if, if I had been writing this, this, uh, this screenplay that I wrote and it almost got sold and it didn't, and I was still, you know, doing my previous survival-type jobs, which I had many of them, I mean, it was still very difficult and very hard because it was like, I felt like we were like really close to something amazing happening and it didn't it helped, certainly helped that i had a really like an amazing wonderful job that i was very very happy at to keep me uh, underneath it all you know but either way it's still hard because you're sort of it's not just your idea your script it's like to you it's your identity is like so they feel like they're not just saying we don't like your script you feel like they're saying we don't you know we don't like you <laughs> Yes. Yeah. At least that's the way yeah. I take it. <laughs> I agree. And, and yeah. that is something that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's something that literally happened to me last week. I had a big uh, pitch a couple of weeks ago and uh, a lot of promises. And then suddenly there came a no. And so it was a huge disappointment, obviously. But how I dealt with it was that I took it as a, as a fire in me and mm -hmm. uh, in order to keep going and to be like, okay, this time it was a no, but let's keep pushing forward. Let's, let's not, uh, let yeah. yourself down by that and just keep going and keep going. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, use it as fuel for your power and energy, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, I will yeah. say, uh, that's, that's exactly the way you have to, that's the only way you can do it. Otherwise you just give up. Yeah. Uh, but I had a very similar experience to that, which, which will let me talk a little bit about Ephesus for family, which is that, um, mm -hmm. When I first uh, started getting some success as a television um, writer, I'd been on some things and um, the show I was working on was made by Disney Studios. And so they came to me and they said, we really like you. We want to kind of lock, they kind of called, they had the kind of what's called like an overall deal, which meant that for the next two years, uh, I was getting, it was called a staffing deal, which meant that like, that I didn't have to go out and like put myself out to get hired by shows. Like I would be guaranteed a job on, a Disney show of some kind, you know, so I would get full-time mm -hmm. employment on these shows, which was fantastic. But also part of it was that I'd get to, I would, I'd get to pitch a pilot and write a pilot, you know, and hopefully it would sell it. But even if I didn't sell it, I pitched a million pilots didn't sell, they would still pay me whatever was the rate of pilot. So anyway, so I came up with an idea that I really liked. It was very personal, uh, based on myself growing up and my dad and, and what it was like growing up in my little town and the relationship between the dad and the son. And, and we took it out and CBS liked it and, and I was excited about it and I wrote it and then they came in, they started coming with all these notes and, and it was, this was back in the time when, uh, I wanted it to be like a, a called a single camera show, which is meaning like mm -hmm. a film, a film type mm -hmm. sitcom, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to a multicam, which is an audience show and CBS at the time. And even still now they really thrive on those kind of audience, like big bang theory or, or two and a half men, mm -hmm. you know, audience shows. So they wanted to make it that. So then, so I, I just slowly started giving into their, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll change the character. I'll make the dad wasn't likable enough. Now he's more likable. Yeah. And ultimately they didn't go for it anyway. And mm -hmm. I felt like I'd given in too much and I didn't stick to what I believed in. And I kind of just, I was felt bad about it. Um, and then I went back a year or two later 
and just rewrote it again, like the way I wanted it, the way I, the way I saw it, just just for just for an exercise. I'm going to do my version of this, the best version of it, and I just had it as whatever in my house, and I showed it to my friends, and they thought it was good. But then, whatever, how many more years later that was, I got the chance to meet Bill Burr. Mm-hmm. And to talk about working on this idea that they had to make an animated show based on his childhood in the 70s in a northeastern town with a with an emotionally uh, messed up dad. And I was like, this is this is that's that's my experience. That's yeah. my thing, you know. Yeah. So so when when I got to so luckily Bill liked me and and we we shared a lot of the similar frame of references. And I told some stories about my childhood, about my dad and his dad. And we, he agreed, he, he invited me to come help develop the show with him. And then so many of the ideas that were in that other thing ended up being in, being an for family. So, Amazing. Uh, it, isn't, yeah, that, so isn't that fascinating how a, an idea you had, like, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, and you wrote it down, you developed it a bit and it didn't go anywhere, can come back. And I think as writers, sometimes it's don't get disheartened if you've got to put it on the shelf for a while. It's still there. It's still in your yeah. mind. You still created yeah. something. It's just not yeah. ready for everyone else yet. Or you yeah. haven't developed yet. And it's not right. I think that's fascinating. And what a great lesson, I think. Uh, never get disheartened if something is a no or it's not working at the time. It might work later. Yes. Or it might just help you as a writer. Yeah, I hate to throw things out too. Like I, I'll, even now there'll be a thing from seven years ago that I'm like, oh, I want to find a way to do that, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hate to let, let it go of like something I think is a good idea, you know, that didn't, <laughs> totally. that didn't see its day. Yeah, and these are the good ideas that that stick with you and that you keep revisiting over and over again, and it's not lost. It's part of your portfolio, and someday, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it yeah. will be hopefully see the light of day. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you learned to be better at pitching your ideas? Uh, obviously, you're in the rooms all the time, so it is maybe less nerve wracking. And obviously, when you first go in, it must be absolutely frightening. We'll talk. About when it never started. gets less nerve-wracking. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> for me. No. I've had pitches where I've gone to places. Again, it's a little different now that we're everything's online, you know, mm. so you're not literally in a room across from a person. And you haven't, I haven't had to drive like 35 minutes to get to oh, wherever, yeah. Santa Monica or something to pitch mm-hmm. it. But I remember pitching a, a thing and uh, an idea that I really, really enjoyed. I really liked it. And then you're sitting in that room waiting for them to call you in. And it was just me. <laughs> Sometimes you go in and you have someone else like your agent or, or another person you're pitching it with. But it was just literally me pitching to the person from, uh, turns out this is, this is at HBO. And I've sat there with myself, like thinking like to myself, like, why did you do this? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why, why are you putting yourself in this position to feel so nervous and worried and like mm. what is wrong with you I, I sort of feel that every time wow it's kind of like when i go to a horror movie and I'm like yeah i'll go see that horror movie and then the horror movie <laughs> is happening i'm telling myself well, why did you agree to come to this horror? <laughs> oh it's amazing because i thought you would by the, you'd be really great at this by now i'm like no no i love pitching and i love the fact that you've just gone no no i still find it nerve-wracking even though after all your success and emmy wins and stuff it's still it's still frightening i think that's that's nice. It's nice to hear, you know, uh, you're still still working hard and still trying to, you know, impress and do well, I think is is really great. When you first started sort of becoming, you know, uh, a writer in this world and, and eventually a producer, you're making sketch shows, you know, and you're yes. writing for sketch shows before you started animation. It was was that a journey you wanted to go down in sketch show? Were you a comedian yourself? Did you do that, or was you always wanted to do animation, and that just kind of was a stepping stone? I started out working in sketch and improv back in New York, 
city uh, before I came to Los Angeles. Honestly, I would have taken any job that came my way, but the yeah. first job that I managed to land was with the sketch, a show that was called The News with mm -hmm. an N-E-W-Z, and it was Man. a kind of a knockoff of Saturday Night Live. But uh, And I got hired for that on the basis of um, a packet of like sample sketches that I had written that were part of like my, my sample material. And it helped that it was an extremely low budget show with not a lot of money. And um, it wasn't going to be writer skilled and it was going to be sort of, they just needed people who were like just starting out fresh, mm -hmm. young, youngish, whatever, you know, and I had a meeting with the guy who was producing it. And um, I was super nervous that day, but he read my stuff and liked it and he offered me the job. So uh, I was so happy to get that. And then from that, uh, there was a guy in that show who was one of the writers. It was one of his first jobs as well. And his name is David Litt. Yeah. And, um, and, and when that show ended, he had already lined up a, a job working for a show on Nickelodeon uh, called Ah Real Monsters. And yeah. so, and he called me and he's like, you know, I'm on staff, but we need, we need a lot of scripts written. We all, we have positions for episodes to be written by like freelance writers. Would you want to come in and meet with us? And maybe you could write a freelance episode. I was like, absolutely. Yes. So then I came in and luckily I got to write two episodes of that. And then over the course of like the next year or so, they, they changed some people left and everything and they had some openings. So then they, because of, I'd done a pretty good job on the freelance episodes, they, they hired me onto the staff, you know, for the next two seasons of that show. Amazing. That must have just felt great. You know, that must have just been like, oh, wow, I, I'm, I'm a writer now. Was, was yeah. it at the time was, did it feel that way or were you still kind of feeling, uh, you know, your way? You, you because we can all feel imposter syndrome and we still do today. Um, but was that a kind of a, oh gosh, I'm actually doing this. You know, this was in New yeah. York as well. So, you know, it's a good place it to be did. creating it, a writing, you know. <laughs> This is all out here in Los Angeles, but um, oh, this is Los Angeles by then. Yeah, okay. but uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because I got the when I got the first job on the sketch thing, it was only a two week, three week job. It was the pilot of it, mm. and then it, then I had to wait about five months to see if it would become like an actual show, which it did. And then we worked for like six, six months on it. That, that's when I felt like, wow, I'm really here now. I'm here. I've arrived. Yeah, you know, right. I'm in LA. This is it. I'm in Hollywood, and we were working at <laughs> a studio. Hollywood. I it was literally like, and uh, my wife, who uh, we were just dating at the time, but uh, she would she came to visit me at the office where I was, and uh, it was at the studio called Sunset Gower Studios, which is on the corner of Sunset Boulevard and Gower. It had been Columbia Pictures back in the old days, mm, nice. um, mm -hmm. but the little we we worked in this ramshackle, crappy little building. But in the the men's room had a window, and out the window you could see the Hollywood sign. Perfect. <laughs> right what there. more do you want? Right. <laughs> you know, it was like I'm peeing and by the Hollywood sign. You know, <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up like idolizing everything to do with Hollywood and everything to do with LA. Yeah. So I was like, wow, I'm really here. Um, yeah. Then the show ended very abruptly. Uh, just one day we were working, the next day we weren't. And then oh. I was like, uh "Oh, now I'm never. Now I may never work again." You know. So, and there was a, there was a cold period there where nothing was happening, and um, uh, and I got to write those that script for Real Monsters, and that sort of started the ball, you know, kind of rolling again. Now, once oh. I think I once I got hired on staff of Real Monsters, I felt like, okay, this is now I can see how this could be like an ongoing thing, but it still was like a lot of hustling and, and going from that to this and wait. And the, the thing that, the thing that really felt like, okay, now I'm really feel like I'm getting somewhere was to get my first, uh, like primetime 
primetime sitcom, mm-hmm. even though the, the mm-hmm. show I was on was the show called Homeboys in Outer Space, which mm-hmm. was uh, on the UPN network. <laughs> and it's still, if you Google it, if you Google it right now, you'll see it's listed on like every list of like top 10 worst shows of all time. Or it's like a joke. <laughs> you know? But um, but the staff on the show, the writing staff on the show were incredibly talented people who went on to great careers. The two guys who created American Dad, Mike Barker and Matt Weissman were on staff with wow. me there. Um uh, myself and guys that have gone on to have just giant careers uh, were all starting out on that show. So, um, and I met Mike Reese and Al Jean on that show. They were, they were on like a part-time basis on that show as consultants mm-hmm. and that's how they got to know me. And they hired me for one of their shows. And then, um, we worked on some other things together and many years later, five or six years later, when a, a spot opened up on the Simpsons and they'd gone back to the Simpsons, they knew me and hired me for the Simpsons. Wow. Had, so I wouldn't have gotten the Simpsons if I hadn't been on like this thing, the worst show of all time. Oh boys in outer space. I think that I think that does say everything about yeah. you as a person. Also the fact that they wanted to work with you again. And I wanted to touch on that because yeah. you, you know, we can all go and try and create something and hey, we might be lucky enough and get a show on air or get a film made we might that might happen but it's then continuing your career this is the sprint you know this isn't a sprint you know what i mean it's a marathon right. it takes a long time right. so do you what do you think i think i know the answer but i want to ask you this <laughs> why do you think that people still wanted to work with you and it might not have just been your writing but let's uh, you know what what do you think it was i would say for anyone but i think it helped for me it's a combination of well of talent of being funny of you know, being able to write good scripts or whatever aside from that so that, i mean that's kind of a given like like you're not going to get close to being hired to work on a writing staff if you can't if you can't do that stuff sure. then then the intangibles i think are like a lot of what i said earlier about the kind of improvisational nature of things or of like being able to go with the flow and and be be collaborative and be you know and say to say like like say like i'll never forget on that show homeboys in outer space i wrote my first draft my first I've, i turned in the first script that i got to write for that show mm-hmm. and i just labored on it and just you know dotted every t and like worked it worked it worked it worked it worked i was up until like four o'clock in the morning the night before <laughs> yeah. just making sure it was so good and like punching up every joke and really wanted to impress them and i turned it in and then i remember they were all sitting all the all the producers were in the, all in their offices and and the assistants like handed out the scripts and i could hear them all reading i could hear like oh, oh, oh like little laughs coming from you know inside oh, wow. you know, wow. i was like oh they like it they like it they like it you know and then they came out and one of the producers said he goes great script mike great script he goes this is gonna make the rewrite so easy and I was like, rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> rewrite. What do you what mean? You, what? You know? yeah, that's <laughs> but, gonna make the rewrite. That's, that's that's the deal, you know. So yeah. uh that script becomes kind of like the clay that the, the actual show will be molded from. And you have to be able to let that go. So uh, it's a long way of saying that like you have to sort of you kill yourself and you say, This is the best possible joke for this story point. Mm-hmm. But then when your boss says, Well, we can do better. You don't go, no, no, this is great. What are you doing, you idiot? You know, you go, okay, mm-hmm. and you move on to the next thing. So uh, I think I'm really good in that way. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a nice guy and people get along with me. And, and that's, uh, I've been uh, I've been on some things where the people who aren't like that necessarily or, or who fight for every little thing, who get their back up and get defensive, they're the ones that, you know, aren't asked back. Yeah. They're the ones that disappear. It is about yeah. being that nice guy, isn't it? And you, you mentioned having the talent of, of, of writing funny scenes. And 
I was just wondering where where does the humor come from? Like, is it just something that 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 comes out of a dynamic of a team, or is it just you sitting in your room having funny ideas? Uh, how 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 well, do you create funny scenes and and concepts? That's such a good idea. That's a good question. I think at first it comes from just having a, a it's a it's a cliche to call it a, a sense of humor, but it means like <laughs> yeah. to me it means like having like a take or like a <laughs> viewpoint of life that finds things funny. You know, like I can't use the specific example, but it could just be, well, for instance, I'll tell a real example from life mm -hmm. that then helped, ended up helped getting me uh, this job on Efforts for Families, that my father was a wonderful man who never yelled and screamed like, like Frank Murphy does, you know, but he, he had, he had, if he had anger issues, he would find weird ways to get it out. So one time when I was around nine or 10 years old, we were watching television. Uh, with my two brothers and I, and a TV commercial came on for this cigar called White Owl Cigars. Mm -hmm. And the the TV ad was this guy in a big kind of a wingback chair, like looking all smug with the cigar. And he says, he goes, you may not smoke White Owl Cigars right now, but if you do, if you take one puff, you will, because we're so good. He goes, we're going to get you. Like that was their catchphrase. Is, we're <laughs> we're going to get you. you. you know? And he goes, oh yeah, we're going to get you. That was the whole thing. We're going to get you. You know, and my dad had a, must have had a bad day that day or whatever. And he yelled, he kind of yelled back at the guy on the TV through the TV screen. And he goes, you're not going to get me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and so, I mean, any other kid, you know, you could have like, that could have gone by, you know, but I really hung on to that. I remembered that, you know, and it, yeah. it, it struck me as like, even though, even though I wasn't a writer then, I was whatever, 10 or 11 years old. It struck me as like, that's a really incisive moment to my dad and who he is as a person, as a character, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think like a comedy writer tends to look at people that way and like mm -hmm. sort of see their flaws or their foibles and find it funny rather than say anger making, you know? So I have some friends yeah. who will, will something like that, will, not something like that, but a thing will happen where someone like a friend, let's say, uh, says like, hey, let's go to lunch, you know? And then, um, and then they go, okay, great. And then they stick you with the check, you know, which is, which is not a great thing, you know, but, but, but you can also see that like, that's who they are. That's, I see, uh, I tend to see people as like sitcom characters. You know? <laughs> so if you think of it that way, then it's like, you're sort of filing away a little moments, little things, you know, then it comes down to actually what you were saying, Toby is like, how do you write the scene? Yeah. That, that becomes where the craft I think becomes where you, mm. and it also helped for me, you know, you've heard of Malcolm Gladwell, uh, mm -hmm. he writes these books about society and things like that. And he had that book about uh, one of his books, he, he's written about a dozen, a dozen of them, but the one that says like, in order to become great at something, you have to put like 10,000 hours in of it, you know, and mm -hmm. at the Beatles, by the time the Beatles played the Ed Sullivan show, they had played like a a thousand shows in Hamburg and, and Liverpool and everything. Anyway, for me, that was just watching TV. So I spent my 10,000 hours of my childhood watching every sitcom, every cartoon show, every movie, every like Marx Brothers, Abbott and Costello movie, and just learning like the rhythms of comedy and how a joke works. And so though by the time I got hired to write something, I kind of had it already I had it already in me. That's incredible. I think we kind of, we're all storytellers, right? I think, and it gets sort of beaten out of us, not beaten is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? In terms of when we're a child, we watch all these things and we know yeah. how to tell a story. We do it all the time with our imagination as a child in the garden constantly. Yeah. And suddenly that yeah. gets 
horribly taken away. It's like, stop daydreaming, stop thinking about this, stop doing this. And what yeah. sounds great, Mike, is, and I think all us critics kind of hang on to this, is we hang on to our childhood of imagination and stories and yeah. what works and what connects. And that's yeah. what makes us creative. And that's what makes these ideas. And for you, it sounds brilliant that you've just, this is what you did. Your life was, oh, God, I'm going to be a writer for you know this, therefore yeah. I'm going to watch all this. Amazing. I wish I could have known that at the time because I remember my older brother, my younger brother used to make fun of me for like watching TV too much. And, you know, right. he'd say, come outside and play. And I go, oh, I'm watching this episode of uh, Gilligan's Island or whatever, you yeah. know. And I'm going to write for one of the biggest uh, shows <laughs> yeah. ever one day. So <laughs> I'm going to win working an Emmy. Here. Yeah, That's I'm working right. here. I'm working here. <laughs> I'm preparing for my career. <laughs> Talk me through the differences of coming on as a writer on The Simpsons and then ending up doing 266, if not more, episodes by now of that show. And then coming on to F is for Family, where it's a brand new show right. based on, obviously, uh, you as the creators and the other creators in there as well on, on their lives. How do you start a show like that? And, and what's the difference between coming into a show like The Simpsons and then starting F is for family from the ground up. Well, coming into The Simpsons was both great and terrifying for me. It was great because I was already just stepping into a show that had been on. It was they were in the middle of season thirteen when I started, so they were already, you know, doing Way pretty past well. Being, yeah, we already <laughs> it was yeah. a ridiculous well. number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah doing pretty good. You know, so yeah. uh, so I didn't have to. It wasn't, a, it wasn't up to me to come up with like, who's Homer? What does he do for a job? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was very daunting because the show has a, a huge canvas, as we all know, and there's dozens of characters and, and mm -hmm. history. And, and at, at that point, there are almost 300 episodes, um, which even that is an astounding number. Yes. And uh, I had, you know, in the interim years, when it first came on, I watched it a lot. But then, uh, you know, as I started right, working on my own and having uh, getting married, having a son and everything, um, I didn't I wasn't like watching it every Sunday night, you know, and I wasn't like watching five reruns a night. So um, so by the time I started working on it, well, and once I knew I got the job, it took me I got the job and then I didn't start working for like six weeks. So I spent those six weeks like watching every night, watching everything oh I could. Yeah. There were there were only VHS tapes of it at that time. There was no DVDs or certainly no streaming then. So mm. I watched everything I could. But even going into my first day, like there were these characters, they were they were banding about talking about these characters. And uh, I've said this a couple of times, but um, one of the first the first day we were working on the show that was turned out to be episode 300, which is where Bart sues Homer for emancipation and then goes and lives in that skateboard place with Tony Hawk and everything. Um, and anyway, so Bart was suing homer for in court and they're so the writers were talking about like well who who should bart's lawyer be who should homer's lawyer be and i think one of the lawyers ended up being gill who i didn't even know gill was someone said how about gill and i was like why not gill but then uh but then the other guy said ian maxton graham who was one of the one of the uh, co-executive producers who was running the room said, well, what if it was Burns's lawyer? And I, for most of the part, I was being quiet that day. Cause I was like, just be quiet. Don't say anything stupid, you know? But, uh, <laughs> so I said, I said, well, um, why would, why would Bart, why would Burns's lawyer work for Bart? He works for Mr. Burns, you know? And he goes, he goes, we just call him Burns's lawyer. like that. He had this kind of very, 
not not like shit not like shooting me down and calling me an idiot but in his tone sort of saying like you know just catch yeah. up a little bit Shut you up, know? Kid. Yeah. Yeah. i just i really literally <laughs> sat there like for the next few days and like just said i'm not going to say anything so it took me a while to sort of get to know the characters and learn how to do it and mm. and learn how, how the best way to write for them and the stuff that had done bef- had happened before i remember pitching a couple stories that uh we did that already you know and we and we have some newer writers on the show now who are fairly young. You know, we have some writers in the show who are younger than the show, you know, who are in their, who are in their twenties, you know? Uh, so, uh, one of them the other day pitched a story and it was like, uh, actually we did that. We did that story, you know, 19 years ago. (laughs) It's it's not her fault. You know, she got, she hasn't watched all 790 episodes, but so that was hard. But then, so when I got a chance to make episode family, it was literally like starting from scratch. So I was Bill Burr and I, and, um, along with our producers, Peter Billingsley and, uh, Victoria Vaughn, you know, we were the Matt Groening. We were the Sam Simon of that show. So we, we, we really started from scratch. So all we had at the beginning was just this family. You know Bill's character, the wife, and the and the kids, and so we had to figure out who they were, what their dynamic was, who each one of them was, and then slowly, like from that little seed, kind of built out. Okay, who's the neighborhood? Who's what are the neighbors like? You know, and so Vic, the character that Sam Rockwell plays, was was named after and based on a character that was in my that pilot I told you about long ago, mm-hmm. uh, who was called Vic in that show, and but he's based on my friend's dad, whose name was Vic. Wow. Who, and then I was like, okay, well now let's say the first episode that we wrote really had nothing to do with what he did for a living, mm. but it was like, what, what should you do for a job? And it was my thought that he worked uh, at an airport, specifically working in the uh, luggage department the of the airport because, in, yeah. because I wanted him, I wanted him to, in that first scene to come home from work and uh, have his big name tag on his shirt, just his baggage on it, you know, like sort of like his emotional. <laughs> like he is, yeah. yeah. So yeah. then they became like, okay, so what is his job like? You know, so then we got to do the second episode where I specifically said, this is the episode now where we're going to expand the world. We're going to mm-hmm. find out what Frank does for a living. We're going to go to, so that's where we had that whole big story where he took Kevin to the airport mm-hmm. to teach him a lesson. But it was li- literally just a chance for us to sort of, See I mean, it turned world. out to be a really fun story, mm-hmm. but it was like, what's a good way to introduce what Frank does for a living? So then we came up with all those characters at, at the airport. It was just mm-hmm. fun to sort of build. And every time we, in a way, it is kind of like improvisation where we built, we, we established that guy and now he's part of the show, you know, and then we needed, mm-hmm. we needed Frank to, uh, we wanted the story where Frank felt like maybe he's going to get promoted. So we said, okay, who's the, who's the, who's the, who's the big boss. So we created mm-hmm. this character that Gary Cole played Roger Dunbarton uh, and his wife, Brandy and all that stuff. And it became the football game. And when you're like, I say in this place now, at the, the time when you're sitting there and you're going, okay, well, this could be the pilot episode, then this develops into this. Had the show already been greenlit? Had it at all, were you in a place where, okay, we know we're doing, I don't know, yeah. you know, the whole first season. So you already knew that at that point. Well, well pretty yeah, much. The process of coming up with it was coming up with the idea and pitching the idea around. And then when Netflix decided they wanted to do it, uh, we'd already written a pilot script that was part of our pitch was like, right. here's the pitch and here's our, here's our pilot script, you know? So, uh, sometimes you do that, sometimes you don't, but in this case we did. So that first story about the TV being broken and everything that was all mm. in that original pilot. Uh, and then based on that, they said, yes, we want to make it. And they gave us an episode order of six for the first season. So we knew we had six episodes for that first season. Uh-huh. And then it was like, okay, what are the six episodes going to be? And then I really literally had that kind of like dream list of like okay we got to do the i've got to do the scene where he goes to the, the football game you know we're like oh my god that'll be great you know and then we had certain things we knew we wanted to get in we wanted to have happen um and then we found ways to make it work and then we, then then once we got started on it, we knew we had a netflix very strongly wanted us to follow the kind of serialized 
story arcs and stuff like that. So then we mm -hmm. had to come up with like, okay, what's the story of the season? And then that's when we came up with this whole thing about the labor unrest and and is there going to be a strike or not? And we go, oh, that's great. It'll build up and it can build up and build up to the final episode. It could be like whether or not there's going to be a strike and mm -hmm. and Frank's loyalty between him himself and the guys the guys that he's worked with and, mm -hmm. and management and all that stuff and and weighing that and work and his family life and Christmas and all that stuff. And it just sort of fell into place in a fun way. Cool. Well, let's talk about the writing side of then for F is for Family. You know, you've got your six uh, episodes for the first season. How do you then structure not only the ideas, but the, the writing of each episode? You all sit there and you come up with ideas and stuff. But do you have a formula or a structure for this has got to happen by this minute or this has got to happen by this minute? Or is it quite free flow? How does it work? Well, it starts out with each season would start out with a very macro look at like, okay, where, what is this season about? Where are we going this mm. particular season? What is the identity of this season? You know, so the first season we were kind of making up as we went along. So with the second season, luckily we brought ourselves to a, an interesting point where Frank lost his job uh, on Christmas Eve at the end of season one. Mm. So we knew that season two would be a lot about what does Frank now do when he's unemployed and what does that mean? And, and we knew that we wanted to, and luckily we'd also set up this idea that Sue had this possible job offer working at the, the, uh, plasterware company. And so we said, okay, well, season two is going to be about what is Frank like when he's not working and how does he regain his, his, uh, feeling of like, I'm the man, the man makes the money, you know, and, and mm -hmm. then we knew that Sue would then have to get a job. Sue becomes the breadwinner. And how does that put stress on their, on their marriage? And so we knew where we want, we knew where we wanted to go. And then we'd say, okay, we have 10 episodes now. And we'd say with each character, like what happens to Frank, you know, he's out of work. Mm. He hits the bottom. He gets a little job working for Smokey, you know, driving the snack truck. Mm. He likes it. You know, and then what happens then? You know, how does that go? You know, and Sue. Mm -hmm. And so we knew where we wanted to go. And then we would then sort of like, then the next step would be to say, okay, we have 10 episodes. So let's say by episode two, this is where Frank should feel like this. By episode four, this should happen. Mm -hmm. By episode six, this should happen. And by episode eight, this should happen. We do that with all the characters. And then we sort of have a general plot for each episode. We knew that we knew the story points we needed to hit. And then when it came to the actual episode itself, then it would be like, okay, how are we going to tell these, these particular five or six story points in this episode hmm. in a way that's interesting. Also, we wanted to be, we didn't want every episode to be the same. Like mm -hmm. I had a tendency uh, that I had to stop myself from doing, which is that every episode would more or less begin with like a morning scene where they're all having breakfast and they go, mm -hmm. well, honey, I'm off to do my thing. And they'd all go off and start their stories. And like, that became, I, I really mm -hmm. wanted to avoid doing that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So we, we didn't do that that much, but uh, so we'd find like, what's a really interesting way to start this one. So we wanted to find ways to make that happen and, and have mm -hmm. every episode have its own identity and be about something that was its own self. And that you could say, that's the episode where this happened, you know, like that's one of the things that, I mean, one of the shows I really love right now, and I'm not, you know, I'm the only one, uh, mm -hmm. the world loves it is succession and succession, even though it tells this vast arcing story, storyline, every episode has its own identity, its own thing mm -hmm. that it's about, you know, the one where it's his birthday, the one where they go to this, the one where they do that. And I really wanted that to be not the kind of thing where there are other shows that I won't say where it's just sort of meandering and like you could, every episode is more like, more or less like every other one. Cause it's like, they call it like, Oh, it's all a giant mm -hmm. movie. It's a, it's an 11 hour movie, you know? I still like mm -hmm. episodic structure enough where it's like, 
the episodes have their own beginning, middle, and end, as well as their overall arcs that are part of that episode as well. Amazing, amazing. Uh, look, this has been brilliant. We do have to let you go. You've you've been so wonderful. Thank you so much. Now that we are at the end, uh, do you have any last advice for up and coming screenwriters out there in the world? Just keep doing it. You know, don't give up. The the one thing that helped me the most was that I really had literally when I was starting out, there was nothing else I could do. I could think of that I wanted to do or that I was even really good at, you know, <laughs> like I couldn't just to say like, well, I guess I'll be a doctor instead of a writer, you know, or I guess I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> I guess if I decided to, I could have gone to law school, but, but I didn't, you know, but I literally was like, I'm either going to, I'm either going to stick with this and, and get through all the rejection and all the, all the difficulty of it and make a go of it. Or I don't know what, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't give myself a, a plan B. I just said, yeah. I'm going to just stick mm. with it and keep going. And that's, I think in a way that's sort of carried on, even though, like we mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, I've been doing very well and been lucky to work on a show like The Simpsons for all this long time, but I'm still hungry to, to do something else to keep it going, mm. you know, because I love it so much and I can't think of anything else I'd like to do that's besides this. Amazing. Uh, Mike Price, thank you so much for your time. Absolute superstar. I uh, wish you. you the best with the final season. Hopefully it's not. Of F is for Family. It's on Netflix. It's out. And now go watch the final season. Go watch all the other seasons if you haven't yet. It is brilliant. It's hilarious. It's dark. Wonderful. Mike, thank you so much for your time. You are wonderful superstar. Really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge. So thank you so much, Mike. That was incredible. Uh, you can go and screenwrite your film. You can go and write your TV series or your animation, your comedy, whatever it is. Just know who your audience is, know who you're trying to write for and go do it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, just as Mike has done, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Thank you, Mike. I had a great time. Thank you so much. So nice talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Toby. Thank you. We will see you all next Tuesday when hopefully we'll have Christy Wilson Kent. Uh, until then, go out and make your films. Make it happen, people. Make your TV happen. Do it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>